Football America's live and underway here on ESPN Plus alongside Hercules Gomez. I am Sebastian Salazar, the U.S. men's national team. Not quite into the World Cup just yet, but about as close as you can be without officially punching their ticket. Herc, you must have been pumping your pro-America fist last night after oh, the 5-1 yeah. in Orlando. Those pro-American fists. America, let's go. Get it. What is it? Six goals? All right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Look at that. There's the confidence. We've got plenty to get to in the show. We are just seconds away, Herc, from Casey Keller joining us to discuss that five spot that the U.S. put up in Orlando against Panama. After that, Mauricio Pedrosa is going to join us from in Mexico. As Mexico, yes, got three points away in Honduras, but again, failed to impress. Hmm. The U.S. and Mexico, Herc, have not qualified for the next World Cup. No, you know who has? Who? Canada. They punched their ticket. They did so in emphatic fashion. We're going to ask the question, look at you, you're such a bandwagon fan. Just how far <laughs> Don't get angry. they can go. I've been on that train since the jump, man. All right, we'll see uh, as we ask just how far they can go in the next World Cup. Plus, we got some real beef, or at least the start of a real rivalry in the National Women's Soccer League. But, Herc, let's start the show with what happened Sunday night in Orlando between the United States and Panama. Now, right before this game, Costa Rica had beaten El Salvador 2-1, so the U.S. knew they couldn't clinch. Panama was basically in a must-win or elimination, and the first 10 minutes were kind of tense till Christian Pulisic uh, gets his first penalty. He'd get a second penalty as well. Oh, there's two penalties in the same half? Uh-oh. The got to think worm. about it. Break Broke out, the, out worm. the worm as well. The U.S. Uh, were cruising early on. Pulisic would cap things off Dirty. with a hat trick in the 65th minute. Oh my uh, that goodness. made it 5-0 to the U.S. men's national team. Panama Fail. gets a goal from Anibal Godoy in the 86 to make it 5-1, but uh, not nearly enough for them. Panama eliminated from World Cup contention with the loss. Christian Pulisic with his first ever hat-trick for the U.S. men's national team. So what does it mean? The U.S. second in the table with one game to go. They're guaranteed a top four spot. So worst case scenario, they're going to the playoff. But the only way they don't get a top three in one of those automatic spots is if they lose by six goals or more to Costa Rica. Just a heads up, the last time the U.S. lost by six goals or more, it was a friendly, it was against France, and it was in 1979. Here's some post-game reaction from Orlando. Coming into the game, we knew we were in a position where the, the group needed to respond. And um, when I look at the effort and intensity uh, of, of the first half and, and the level that we were playing at, it was really impressive. You can see exactly what the guys took on and, and their motivation to get back to the World Cup. Um, we scored five goals in the game. I think we could have had more uh, if we were a little bit more clinical at times. But we made a big step towards our, our goal of qualifying for the World Cup. We know we're not there yet, despite what that banner might have said. We, we know we still have a game to go, and it's a difficult game in Costa Rica. I won't necessarily get into specifics, but what I'd say is probably about 20, 20 total people in the entire delegation went down. And um, it was, you know, it was something that we had to deal with and we had to respond to. And, you know, you can't always predict these things and, and what we had to do is just deal with it in, most of the, the, in the most effective way we could and, and keep moving forward. Joining us for more on the U.S.'s big win over Panama, a man who has made many trips to Mexico and four trips to the World Cup representing the United States, our good four. friend and colleague, Casey Keller. Casey, did you have any stomach problems on any of your trips to Azteca? <laughs> <laughs> 
I knew some I knew some guys who did. And actually, we were in Guadalajara for a Confederation Cup and and, and Greg uh, in 99 and Greg got into something. And wow, <laughs> I mean, he was sick. So it, it, it happens. Uh, I, I didn't get too bad at different times, but uh, it can happen. And obviously with the with a, a large group of the team, something they ate just didn't agree with them and a big group got sick. And obviously that uh, was an issue in Greg's selection process, making sure that he had guys who he know could put forth the effort that weren't sick the last couple days and, and didn't have that fatigue issue. Casey, nothing to be uh, sick about with the performance from the U.S. men's national team. I I think it was the best that we've seen in World Cup qualifying. Would you go as far as to say it's the best that we've seen under Greg Berhalter? I wouldn't go that far because I think the result and, and, and the goals have, have tempered the performance outlook. I thought they, they played well. I love the high pressure. They knew they needed to score goals. They knew they needed to pad that statistic going into Costa Rica. So uh, that goals for, that goal difference, everything to go. And they did exactly that. But there was times where they were loose playing out of the back. They gave some really bad balls away and could have been punished for it. And they weren't. Zach Steffen wasn't at his best as well, made some mistakes, got away with it so result was brilliant performance maybe not the best it was comfortable right it wasn't convincing i'm with casey here it's comfortable because of the circumstances i mean their captain panama's captain in a must-win game gives you two penalty kicks yeah. uh, one in the opening minutes and in the second half the opening minutes again the most crucial of times it's their captain making these mistakes And the goals mask what is, I guess, this performance or what we want to say is convincing, but it really wasn't. There were shaky, nervy moments uh, throughout the first half, especially in the opening 20, 25 minutes. Uh, They could have been made pay for. But if we're going to talk about a convincing win, the best win that Greg Berhalter has had, it's still Cincinnati, still Mexico, still that second half. This doesn't come close to it. We're kind of being led astray here by the goals. Mm. Uh, Look, guys, I... They did win 5-1, right? We're, not, we're being a little bit harsh here when we say they, they were pretty darn good. I mean, I don't know how much complaining we can do about what we saw from this team. I'm with you, Casey, that they weren't perfect. The playing out of the back, the Zach Steffen stuff. We'll, we'll get to Steffen specifically yeah. a little bit later on. But if you look at the boxes that Greg Berhalter probably wanted to check in this game, I think he checked them all. He got a goal from his number nine, Jesus Ferreira, which, let's be honest, they haven't had one of those since what? October with Ricardo Pepe. That's a big one. They were dominant on set pieces, which is something the U.S. has not been throughout this World Cup qualifying cycle. That's going to bode well for you, not just now. I think that's going to bode well for you uh, also when it comes to the World Cup. And you survived a must-win World Cup qualifier with a guy who was an emergency call-up and your fourth string right back. I mean, we got to give some very, very serious credit here. Uh, If we don't like the performance, let's at least the context that it's a must-win game, right, Casey? They did it in a must-win game. Surely that deserves applause. No, no. uh, Yep. No, no, absolutely, 100%. I don't think, uh, Seb, you quite understood what Herc and I were talking about. We're not saying that it wasn't a great performance, that it wasn't a great result. But when you're lauding this as the best performance of all time, it, it wasn't. I mean, they got the goals when they needed them. Uh, obviously, the, the favor of the two uh, ridiculous penalties that Godoy caused and, and then uh, some, some good goals. Look at, look at the, the Jesus Ferrer goal you just mentioned. It ricocheted 
skate off like six people's legs, fell right to him four yards out. Sometimes you just need things to go your way. And this was one of those days where things went the U.S.'s way. When Zach came out for a cross, missed it, fell between his legs, got big, and then made the save. So it's little things like that. Everything that could have gone right, except for that uh, defending that set piece late in the game, went right for the U.S. Let's dive into the starting lineup here for Greg Berhalter because he did have to make some changes from the team that he started in the game at Azteca. In fact, four changes. Two of them were forced, right, by suspension. He's got to take out Tim Weah and DeAndre Yedlin. They're replaced by Paul Ariola and Shaq Moore. Luca De La Torre for Kellen Acosta and Jesus Ferreira for Ricardo Pepe are the other two changes. Uh, Casey, during the entire qualification process, I feel like one of the things where Greg Berhalter has been criticized the most is his starting 11s. He pretty much got it perfectly right against Panama, didn't he? Well, he got the result perfectly right, and the result came because you, you, you can pick a team, and, and you can we can all have a, a discussion on should maybe Josh Sargent been in the squad and started ahead of Jesus Ferreira. You could have a, a, a talk that uh, Joe Scally probably is in, in, in better form than Shaq Moore right now to slide into that emergency right-back spot. But in the end, uh, a manager makes decisions based on who he feels comfortable with, who guys he's worked with or have done things at different times. Greg picked a, a squad that came together, had to make changes, like you said, some of them forced, but put guys in and they performed and they got the job done. And, and in the end, a manager is... The whole part of it is just the results that he gets. Greg got a big, big result on a big, big day, and that lineup helped him do that. Yeah, let me tell you, Sub, it's not that he got this lineup right. It's that he got the window right. Could you imagine if he went with a lesser squad into that Mexico game in Azteca and they didn't get the result, they didn't get the tie? Now you're going into Costa Rica, San Jose, looking for a result to be in direct uh, process of that World Cup instead of pretty much already being secure. I mean, sign some catastrophe, some, some miracle. Uh, you're pretty much in. So he got that right, and this trickled over, and it's a result. You got the result after that. But I was incredibly shocked um, with the mentality of the team, one, and what I didn't see from Panama, too. This was a must-win game for Panama. I mean, there's no tomorrow if you don't win this game, and they didn't even show up. Paul Ariola with a goal and an assist. He's probably one of the guys that you most think of as a Greg Burhalter pick for the 11. Well, there it was. That one certainly uh, paid off for the American coach. Let's focus in on goalies, Casey. Zach Steffen, I thought he was pretty shaky last night. Am I being harsh? No, no, not at all. I think even if you looked at, you know, uh, Zach's body language and the facial expressions when he knew he, he, he made some mistakes, and the, and the expression was, wow, I got away with that one. And, and, that's, and that happens to all of us. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, Herc, you, know, you never missed a sitter in front of goal nope. and then looked <laughs> nope. at it and went, nope. well, I probably should have <laughs> scored that, you know? So it's the same as a goalkeeper. You'll have, those, you'll have those odd days where things just don't go your way. And, but the, the best part about it was even after all the mistakes that were made, he was able to recover for it or his teammates were able to cover for him. And in the end, yes, I mean, uh, a clean sheet would have been great, but probably on the performance, did they deserve it? Probably not. 
but uh, they did the job. They, they cushioned that goal difference so that they can go down to Costa Rica and bar the worst result in U.S. national team history. They're going to go to a World Cup. You know, when we talk about Zach Steffen, we're talking about a player that's coming back from injury. And there were often moments during that game where I saw a player that maybe didn't trust his body. Like, it, it takes some time for you to fully be convinced that you're okay. And I don't know if he's physically there. I don't know if maybe some of those lingering injuries weren't on his mind. Uh, that said, uh, the team was there to back him up. That said, uh, sans that set piece, it was a, a pretty solid performance from the defensive line and Zach Steffen. A few shaky moments, but they got out of that. But I don't know if physically he is there. We always talk about his ability to play with his feet. He's definitely confident on the ball. I wonder if sometimes he's overly casual on the ball. Like, it's a guy who almost has too much confidence, if that's a thing that you can have on the ball as a soccer player. Certainly as a goalie, maybe, maybe that's the case. The one thing I would ask here, and, and it's probably a conversation for another day because it's not the reality today, Matt Turner seemed to have lost the job for a lot less. I thought Matt Turner was, was not that bad against Panama in that one nothing defeat. Basically, the game we all think cost him his job. If Matt Turner were healthy... Was that performance bad enough? Was it shaky enough from Stefan to maybe, maybe think, make Greg Berhalter think that it's time to make a change in the goal? In the past, he's done it. We'll leave it, uh, I guess, this time for another day. Let's focus on the positive, Casey. Man of the match performance from Christian Pulisic. Is it the best that we've seen him for the U.S. men's national team? Well, I think it's the best we've seen him in this round of qualifying. And, and I think that was really important because when you get into these must-win games, you get into situations where uh, you need your stars to rise. Uh, this is a young team, and it's a young, inexperienced team at this level. Christian is the player right now who has the most experience of anybody uh, in that squad. And you need to rely on those players in big moments. And, and, and Christian showed up yesterday and, and, and absolutely, did the captain's role and you know you heard Greg talk in the press conference just about the attitude well that started with their big star Christian was was up for this game from the first minute had the composure obviously with the two penalties and and then put that extra cushion with that phenomenal fifth goal so just what you needed from your biggest player yeah, I, I don't know about uh, best all-time game, but it's definitely the game that I learned the most about Christian Pulisic. I mean, if we ask, if we look around the room, the U.S. Men's National Team room, what if this game, who does it mean the most to? It's definitely me. Christian Pulisic, and I thought it was a stroke of genius by Greg Berhalter handing him the captain's armband. Of course, Kova, of course, Trinidad and Tobago was on his mind. Of course, this game means something. It was a must game. It was a must win game, excuse me, uh, for both teams. Uh, if Panama didn't show up, Christian Pulisic showed up. Yes, circumstantial that he had two penalty kicks, but you still have to bury him. But you look at the attitude for a player that oftentimes has said he doesn't deal well with the expectations. It looked like yesterday he wanted all that responsibility. Fighting with players, fighting with the referee, demanding the ball. The Dennis Bergkamp-like goal for the hat trick. I mean, after the turn, there was a nutmeg on the Panamanian defender, and then burying that. It looked like a confident Christian Pulisic. It looked like the kind of player that you want, Greg Berhalter wants, on this team. So I will say, mentally at least, I thought it was best performance. 
Herc, Greg Berhalter, a stroke of genius is what he said. When I asked the question last week, if Christian Pulisic should be captain <laughs> instead of Tyler Adams, I was told absolutely not. You said Tyler Mexico. Adams should be the captain. Okay. Not All right. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. A little bit inconsistent there. Uh, I'm with you, Herc, though. Primarily from a mental standpoint, I, I, I picked the word personality. Yeah. It's the most personality we've seen from Christian Pulisic. Yes, it's getting in the fight with the Panamanian players. Yes, it's getting in the fight with the Panamanian ref. Uh, the Panamanian bench. Yes, it's getting into scuffles with the refs, but it's everything about it, and it's wearing the captain's armband. He was like an, an angry Christian Pulisic. He definitely had a vendetta, and I think that personality with his skill set is what takes him over to the top. Now, part of that personality, guys, comes out when we see the goal celebrations, and a lot of people are discussing Christian Pulisic's goal celebrations of like, what was it, a couple weeks ago at Chelsea we saw uh, the gritty. Well, last night we saw the worm after uh, Pulisic opened the scoring. Casey probably did this a few times in the 90s. I'm not (laughs) sure. Uh, Afterwards, many folks talking about not just the celebration, um, but specifically why Christian Pulisic did this celebration. What's the request? If you score the goal, you have to do the worm. Okay? <laughs> the worm? The worm. <laughs> yeah. I knew he was gonna you better get to work on it. Alright. Let's listen, I'll practice, alright? That's more of a chair. I'll do my best. All right, so the young man you see there with Christian Pulisic making the request is uh, Mason Ogle. He's a 15-year-old soccer player. He's a diagnosed with bone cancer. And thanks to the great work from both the folks at uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation and Craig Willinger Foundation, Mason got to meet the U.S. team and, of course, Christian Pulisic before the game in Orlando. And then how about this from his parents on Twitter? I believe this is Mason's mom, Jacqueline's account, if that's correct. Pulisic doing this for him is something he will never forget. Amazing stuff there from everybody involved, including uh, Christian Pulisic. From something very cool to a quick edition of Are You Cool With It? Uh, After the U.S. wins, the team unveiled a banner with the word qualified stamped Uh across it. Uh, The only problem, the U.S. hasn't actually qualified yet. They could still finish fourth and lose in the playoff uh, if things get really crazy down in Costa Rica. Now, Greg Berhalter. After the game, as you heard at the top of the show, he said, we know we're not there yet, despite what the banner said. So they were already acknowledging it. So did Christian Pulisic, who was one of the guys uh, who was trying to kind of rip the banner down. The guys didn't know what at all it said. Once we realized it, it was just, there's no need to show that off because we still have a job to do, and we know that. That's why we moved it. Uh, Casey, how big of a mistake is this? (laughs) Well, if if you lose seven nil in uh, uh, Costa Rica, it's a huge mistake. If you if if you go get the job done, then it's no big deal. I mean, but I mean the, the problem is is you have that last home game, and you obviously want to say you know thank you to the fans. And obviously, U.S. Soccer didn't have a banner made up that said almost qualified, so they just <laughs> gave them the banners that they had, uh, and it was a little premature. So the best way to do it is just to go down to Costa Rica, have a very professional performance make sure you qualify and then none of it matters there's the thank you banner right there that's the thank you banner the qualified banner the best thing is you can see Christian Pulisic in the video once he realized what's going on he's ripping the banner down it's bad juju you don't do this don't put it out in the universe listen (laughs) Costa Rica Costa Rica has got like 14 points out of the last 18 or 16 out of 18 points. 16 out of 18 points. That's insane. They're the hottest team in CONCACAF right now. Now, we will get into that later, but don't put that out in the universe. Yeah, it's a big deal, but it's uh, very easily avoided. You want to bet that there's a picture 
Oh, you yeah. want to bet that there's a picture of that banner in the Costa Rica locker room before the match? No, because you're right about that. There absolutely is. <laughs> oh, we can only hope uh, what bulletin yeah. board material uh, that that would be incredible stuff if, if, they get, if they get caught for that. We should note. They knew they were never going to clinch, right, once Costa Rica won. So you had not – it wasn't like a result that happened five minutes after, after the game ended. You knew for hours. So whoever was responsible for that qualified banner had more than enough time to get it out of the players' hands. Not at all putting it, at least I'm not, uh, on the players who, who got it in their hands after that game. All right, let's turn our attention then to Costa Rica. Before we hear from uh, Casey and Herc on your approach, what you would do in this game, let's hear from the manager himself looking ahead to the World Cup qualifying finale. You know, I think the other side of it is that it's the challenge. You know, this group has never won um, a qualifier in San Jose. We've never won in, in Azteca, and, and the guys are hungry for that. So, you know, we'll put a lineup on the field that is, is going to go for the win. And, um, you know, I, I don't think the guys would want any less. I know the coaching staff doesn't want any less. So we'll evaluate the health of guys. The guys that have major minutes will be... Will be um, monitoring them and monitoring their regen and how they're coming out of that. But we want to put a, t a team on the field that's going to compete. Casey, U.S. kind of in a weird spot. All they have to do is not lose by six. What does that do to your approach? Well, I think there, there has to be uh, a side of that approach that you have to be conservative when you approach that game. You don't go in uh, like you did in the Panama game. You're on the road. You're in a difficult place on a team that's in good form. The last thing you want to do is be cavalier, go out there. We're going to win this game and, 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 and end up 3-0 down at halftime and then, and then start, to, start to question yourself. By all means... Uh, don't go in there with an idea that we're going to defend from minute one and never go on the attack. I like the approach that I saw at Azteca. Uh, concede some possession, defend really well uh, as a group, understand that Costa Rica has to score a ton of goals with any chance to go through. You're going to have an absolute ton of opportunities on the counterattack. So just be organized. Don't worry about possessing the ball in, the, in, in your defensive third. Wait for those moments when Costa Rica pushes numbers, gets themselves in awkward situations, win a ball in midfield, and hit them on the counter. Yeah, I was thinking about this a lot. The U.S. men's national team really never goes into a game thinking, we need to score five. We need to score six. They don't really play that way. They play a lot like Casey's talking about, picking their moments, being good in transition, overwhelming uh, with wing progression, et cetera, et cetera. But think about what needs to happen for Costa Rica to advance. They would need to win by six, and Mexico would need to lose by two, right? That, that, it's not really in the cards. And I think even the Costa Rica team and the federation and the players understand this. There's a very stupid rule in CONCACAF in this World Cup qualifying process where if you get two yellow cards in a 12-game span, you have to sit out the next game. They have nine players sitting on a yellow right now. So if one of those nine players were to get a yellow card, that puts them in jeopardy for the World Cup playoff, the intercontinental playoff. Among those nine players, we got Joe Cambo, Calvo, excuse me, Campbell, Calvo, Oviedo, Ruiz, Borges, etc. I think they're really going into this game thinking we have to be smart about this ourselves. We're not going to beat the U.S. men's national team by six. Mexico's not going to lose at Azteca to El Salvador by two. So I think it's a very winnable game. And this 
we're going to put a team out there to win, it's going to be a scenario just like we saw at Azteca. It doesn't mean you play to tie. It doesn't mean you play not to lose. It means you play to win the game intelligently. I'm with you, Eric. If anybody has bigger questions around hey, the I got a question for, for you game, guys. Yes. Check this Costa Rica. out. Go ahead, Casey. I got, I, got a, I got a question for you, Seb. Check this out. What are the rules from FIFA if you don't show up for a game? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's, it's, you lose 3-0 yes. for a forfeit. <laughs> yep. I'm just saying, what if a huge outbreak of COVID happens in the U.S. in the U.S. hotel in Costa Rica and just can't show up for the match? Listen, they 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 already got the squirts in Mexico. Who knows? Hey, it's not a bad shout. It's not a bad shout by any means necessary, right? Uh, What a way that would be for the U.S. men's national team to book their spot uh, in the next World Cup. There he is, Casey Keller. Thanks so much for the time, man. Always appreciate it. Hope to have you back here soon on Football America. Thanks, Casey. Thanks, guys. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Let's turn our attention to El Tri. As impressive as the U.S. were, uh, their rivals were not. Mexico using the same 11 as they did against the U.S. Jorge, Jorge Tiller there in place of Tata Martino back in Mexico after an eye procedure. Uh, Mexico got the one nothing win. 70th minute goal off a corner kick. Hector Herrera finding Edson Alvarez. Wait, wait what's that you? Maybe, is this, is maybe this it Edson? was an own goal. Is this maybe Edson an or own goal. own goal? I don't know. I don't know. Either way, we'll take it. I'll uh, give Mexico, it to Edson. Almost 70% possession, but just three shots on goal. Still, all it'll take is a draw against El Salvador. Even a loss could do it for Mexico to punch their spot in Qatar. Here's Memo from Honduras. Las condiciones de la cancha no ayudan a tener una mejor definición adelante y nos falta ese, esa toma de decisiones al final para, para ser más contundentes. ¿no? Bueno, por supuesto que todavía falta ¿no? asegurarlo, eh, así es que no podemos confiar ni nada, dar nada por hecho. Hay que jugarlo, hay que ganarlo y, y bueno, qué mejor que en nuestra casa con nuestra afición. Ojalá que sea un día para que seguramente va a ser para, para disfrutar y... Y bueno, pues que la gente se vaya al ángel también, ¿no? Bueno, esto es de conjunto, es de equipo, ¿no? Aquí cuando se pone un delantero o a otro, eh, la responsabilidad de hacer goles es de, de todos. Eh, así es que todo es compartido y, y todos sumamos, ¿no? Así es que todos queremos lo mejor para el grupo porque también en defensiva ellos, ellos ayudan mucho a, a que no nos metan gol, a, a los ceros que hemos, hemos sacado. Mexico, one nothing winners away against Honduras, just like the United States, all but into the next World Cup. For more, we welcome in from San Luis, his native home in Mexico, Mauricio Pedrosa. Mau, I'm not even going to ask you how you so are because I want to hear. <laughs> I want to hear how you are in the answer to this question, okay? Because I know some Mexico fans who thought that was one of the worst performances Ooh. under Tata and the worst performance we've seen from Mexico in this qualifying cycle. And by some Mexican fans, I mean me. Am I being too harsh?
I'm being so harsh. I can't hear. We can't even hear Mao. (laughs) Like you guys are with Greg Berhalter. That's how how harsh you are with the Mexican national team. Mm. And the, the explanation for that is really simple. I was very disappointed with the result. I was not that disappointed with the way the team played. But then looking back and I rewatched the game this morning, I said to myself, do you, Mauricio Pedrosa, realize that Honduras, they haven't won a game in the past 15 matches they have played. Do you know, Mauricio Pedrosa, that Honduras, this team, they were missing at least five starters. Do you know, Mauricio Pedrosa, that this is the worst team in the octagonal? And I said to myself, yeah, now I thought of that. So I was very disappointed. And at this point, I don't even know if I'm just realizing that this team cannot play that much better if things stay the same. And by things staying the same, I mean keeping the same manager, Tata Martino. Yeah, you know, when before this game went down, I went in and I'm like, all right, who's Honduras got? You know, I'm looking for Albert Ellis. I'm looking for Kyoto. Kyoto's in protocol, the COVID protocol. You can't play this game. And I'm thinking, like, how is Honduras going to do this? There's no way. Mexico's got this in the bag. And then you watch that first half, and it's one shot on goal. It's a Mexico squad that's the same old, same old with Mexico. Lots of possession, because you know they will have that. Chinkering in or around what is that final third, but nothing concrete. And, and then the opening minutes of the second half, it's Lopez from Honduras who has the clearest chance of the game. That, I mean, that 1v1 over the top, and if it's, the shot doesn't go directly to Memo Ochoa, we could be talking about a different outcome. And set pieces for Mexico, that does them the favor. So now we're talking about, what, five games without a goal in the run of play? Uh, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, really, it's really crazy to think about where Mexico is today. All right, let's get into an edition of three questions, which really could be a uh... 33 questions based on how many questions Tata Martino and company have to answer for this Mexican national team. Martino, of course, not there, but that doesn't mean we can't criticize him. Uh, Mao, what's your biggest queja or complaint against uh-huh. Tata Martino? Well, I have many, but my <laughs> biggest queja is that this team is they they like a team identity. And by that, when I watch the game, I'm I'm, I'm trying to realize. What is this team trying to do? What are they doing in training that makes me go, oh, okay, so this is the system. Oh, okay, so the idea is to create 1v1 situations. Oh, okay, the idea is just to push forward and high press, but I don't see any of that. The only thing that I see is give the ball to Hector Herrera, pray the Lord that he finds one of the wingers open, then keep on praying that those wingers win the 1v1 situations and my goodness now this is asking for a miracle that they are able to find Raul Jimenez and if he woke up on the right foot he might score that's it that's what the team does there's no adjustments we talked to Miguel Herrera earlier today on Ahora Onuka and he said this team is absolutely predictable and that's on the manager we can blame the players for the level as much as we can or as much as we want but if we do not focus that this team it does not look like they have an idea of what they're doing. There might be a plan A, but there's no plan B. That might be a queja because that's in the end, ultimately. Those adjustments tend to win games, and they're not doing it as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Biggest queja with Tata Martino. I mean, he seems like a nice guy. Why do I have to have a queja against oh, him? Yeah. You know what it is? It's he's stubborn. It's one thing to be not in a great moment, 
but he's been stubborn throughout his process. And what I mean by being stubborn, it's the vetados, the players who are blacklisted. He has a penchant for blacklisting players. It's the Vaca Sagradas. It's these players who are untouchable, these older veteran players who he will give countless opportunities to. Yes, like El Tridente, like that Trident, offensive Trident, who have yet to score a goal with each other on the field. It is the the lack of young players on this squad, the, the generational change that has to occur with any national team, it hasn't occurred with this national team, and he refuses to give young guys a chance. The Diego Lainez's, the Alexis Vega, the Santi Jimenez, uh, these players like uh, like Eric Gutierrez, he refuses to give these players a chance. Johan Vasquez finally played this window. It's, it's how stubborn Tata Martino is, the lack of understanding in the game where, you know, this will work. It has to work. Minute 78, no subs against the U.S. men's national team at Azteca, and you're tied. It's Tata Martino being stubborn. You say stubborn, I say slow, but it's basically the same thing, right? He's been slow to change over this team, as you point out. We haven't refreshed it with new blood. He's slow to change his 11s, guys. He kept the same 11 from the U.S. game uh, as he did for the second game of this window. What was so good about that U.S. game? Who in that front three, who in that midfield three was so good that they needed to not be changed? And then beyond that, to your point, it is the subs, right? We wait till the 80th against the United States. We wait till the 67th. Um, we wait till the 67th last night. And by the way, both those games were 0-0 at the half. Both of those games were must win. Mao, I see you want to get in a word in, but my question would be like, where's the urgency from this manager? Yeah, well, uh, same question that I've asked myself every time I watch this team. I will say something, though, to the point that he played or he started the same 11 guys after the match against the U.S. Men's National Team. That is actually the first time that Tata repeated a starting 11. Now, I understand your point, and I agree with your point, but my biggest concern was before he didn't have a clue which players were in better form that actually made sense to as many questions as you guys and I have of which are the players that truly, truly deserve to be a part of the starting 11. Okay, so the manager's definitely going to get his, his share of the blame here, right? But we can also identify some of the players as well. Let's uh, turn our microscope towards the tridente of Chucky Lozano, Raul Jimenez, and Tecatito Corona, right? Because these are the big three, the supposed big three of the Mexican national team, and they go another game without a goal and without an assist. Mao, of this big three, who is the biggest disappointment for you? Chucky Lozano by a mile. He's mm. supposed to be Mexico's best player. In all of 2022, this year, Chucky Lozano has only completed 90 minutes once, and that was the game against the U.S. men's national team. He missed six games with Napoli, including those two crucial matches against Barcelona. And he has, he, he has barely scored only twice and in the same game. So he's not in great shape. And I understand he might be in, not in, in, in his best form, but at the same time, he looks frustrated. His body language is not ideal. He has zero chemistry with Gerardo Arteaga on that left-hand side of Mexico's attack. And I say this, if Mexico's gonna win games, most of the time will depend on the level of play of Chucky Lozano. So far, it hasn't been there, and he's getting so frustrated that it's getting painful to watch. Yeah, I understand what you're saying with Chucky Lozano, and the body language is evident. I mean, that U.S. men's national team versus L3 game in Azteca, you could see just the frustration pouring out of him. It was almost petulant, childlike. But it's very difficult for me to see Raul Jimenez and think about 
who Raul Jimenez was. I mean, before his injury, there was an 18-month span where Raul Jimenez was a good goal scorer. And we were comparing him with the best nines in the world. But the one thing that set him apart was his ability to facilitate, which he's always had. He's always been a playmaker in that nine role. He's always made others better. That's not been the case. Tecatito Corona nor Chucky Lozano have been better with Raul Jimenez on the field. And to me, that's a huge issue because if you're not scoring goals, then at least be there to do what you've always done, create. And he's not helped Chucky Lozano be better. He's not helped Tecatito be better. He's not helped anybody in that front line be a better player or set those players up with goal scoring opportunities. So it's Raul Jimenez for me. I'm, I'm with Mao as far as Chucky is concerned in that he was maybe the worst last night. But I also think just because of how aggressive he is, he might be the closest to goal. Tecatito is what Tecatito is, which is a player who, as much fun as he is to watch, does not deliver end product. He's not doing it right now. I'm sorry. We, we, we love to watch him play. We love to put, to put him in, run it back. But he just doesn't get the job done in the final third. And that's a big part of Mexico's problem. For Raul Jimenez, though, that to me is the biggest disappointment because he is not aggressive. He is not the same player. He is not desperate in the box like he used to be, guys. And if we go by the old adage, at least a striker, if he's getting chances, we can live with that. He'll finish eventually. Even that's not going Jimenez's way, guys. He's not getting the chances that he used to get. So this is a huge problem for me, Mal. I know you want to get a word in, but tell me how the number nine is not this, <laughs> the biggest problem right now for Mexico. Okay, he has an excuse. We didn't know he was going to be able to play again, you guys. So it is evident, evident that he hasn't been himself after that very, very hard head injury after clashing against David Luiz. So I want to give him a pass. It's hard to come back from such an extended absence and then trying to recoup that level that he had before that very, very sad injury. He hasn't been the same. And I understand Lozano also has had injuries different type of injuries and i and and i think we can all agree with this we always expect more from the best player and the best player in the mexican national team by talent is chucky lozano listen if you give raul jimenez a pass any longer you know what's gonna be passing el próximo ronda the next round for mexico at the world cup i mean i don't know how much longer you guys can wait that's that's the great point right i mean yes he is back but he's walked right back into the starting spot and has not let go of it, despite the fact that the productivity has not been there from Mexico's number nine. Let's talk changes then, right? If things were really that bad, you've got to make some changes, Mao. What changes do you want to see for Mexico's World Cup qualifying finale on Wednesday against El Salvador at the Azteca? I'm benching. I'm benching Chucky Lozano, and I'm starting Alexis Vega. I know, I know Alexis Vega had his minutes against the U.S. Miss National Team and didn't look particularly fantastic or anything close to that. But to me, he's been one of the most consistent attackers in Mexican soccer recently. He can give you many options. He can play as a false nine. He can play wide starting as a left winger. He has the ability to take shots from outside the box. He can score from inside the box. He, can, he also has great vision. He can find difficult lanes to find the number nine. And at this point, also he has scored four times this year. That's as much as Raul Jimenez has scored in the Premier League. I think he earned a chance to start a crucial, it is kind of a crucial game, right? Because it's the last World Cup qualifier game, if you want to label it like that. But I think he earned the spot as it started. I like Alexis Vega a lot. He should start against El Salvador at the Estadio Azteca. Well, let me tell you why it's a crucial game, because it's the last, la it's the lasting impression the Mexican fans and the public right. will see of this Mexican national team before they go. Uh, but it's got to be 
Diego Linus. I mean, all I keep hearing from you guys is Diego Linus. I've heard so many times how Diego Linus this, Diego Linus that. He's not playing at Real Betis. The one place where he should play is with the Mexican national team. The few times we have seen him. I'm talking about the final, CONCACAF Nations League final against the US. What does he do? He sets the game apart. It was him that brought Mexico back in that. It's him that gives team, Tim Ream nightmares to this day. Against Panama, in El Azteca, when the game was boring, boring, 0-0, and you're like, wow, Panama may steal points here. He comes on the field and immediately draws a penalty kick. Dubious if you want, but he's there creating havoc. What does Diego Linus need to do to get on the field. I don't understand it. Tecatito Corona, you spoke about play. the lack of in-product right now. Play with Betis. Hold on, hold on, hold on. He doesn't there play, are players, There are players who don't play, okay? Chucky Lozano's not been playing with Napoli. He's still starting, okay? He's not playing since he's been, in, he's been injured, and he's starting in the most important of games. Diego Linus has shown that he's different. We had today Miguel Herrera and Aura Nunca, and Herrera said, listen, what sets the U.S. men's national team in Canada apart from Mexico is they have players who are very good 1v1 situations. Mexico only has two wingers that are good that way, and only one is 1v1 without just being straight ahead speed, and that's Tecatito. Diego Linus is the other. Diego Linus is the only one in that pool who can mimic somewhat with Tecatito Corona. Give him a run. How much longer do you need to wait? I wouldn't mind seeing both of those changes, to be honest. I wouldn't mind seeing Alexis Vega. I wouldn't mind seeing Diego Linus. I would also, I would also mention, since I'm so down on Raul Jimenez, what about Santi Jimenez? Huh? This is a player, Herc, no, who you no. in the past has no, said no, 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 is no, no, a no, better no, no, player no, 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 than Ricardo no, no, Pepe. Okay? We, we, always talk about, we always talk about this. Why not? It's, it's a game where really, unless there's a catastrophe, you're going to be in the World Cup. Give this guy a shot. If he scores a couple goals, remember, that's all it took. Suddenly, Ricardo Pepe was a $20 million transfer to Augsburg. Why not give a young Mexican player that chance? Mal, why not? Because he hasn't shown us anything. What has he done? They've not given he, him the opportunity. He, he, I mean, he cannot start for, for a team in the Mexican League like Cruz Azul. I mean, are we just going to give opportunities to professional players randomly? Hey, I might have a shot to start for the Mexican national whoa, team eventually. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't I, I just Randomly. I'd rather start I rather start Henry Martin over Santiago. Oh, talking Jimenez. about players at who least, don't start for their at, club team. Well, well, but at least Henry Martin has already scored for the Mexican national team. He plays for Club America under a lot of pressure, and he has shown at, at that he point, can give you very, very solid minutes. At what point do you start thinking? future. Do you start thinking, Henry Martin is not my present nor my future. Santi Jimenez couldn't be my future. Santi Jimenez, I need to start grooming him now because he's got all these intangibles that are way different than the nines in the pool. He's big, he's strong, he's very fast, he's got a good nose to grow. And his best and his best play, he's very Raul Jimenez-like. He makes those around him better. He made Cabecita Rodriguez a great goal scorer that season. They won the tournament. He's a good player. Herc, when do you start to think about the future in a future episode of Football Americas? Because we got to leave this here for now. Mauricio Pedrosa, thank you so much for taking the time. As always, great to have you here on the show. Love you, boys. See you later. There he is now from San Luis. Big game coming up Tuesday. UEFA World Cup qualifiers playoff final. Portugal, Cristiano Ronaldo playing for a spot in Qatar against North Macedonia. Coverage starts 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That game on ESPN2 streaming live on the ESPN app as well.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Canada qualifying for the World Cup for the first time since 1986. 36 years for those keeping track at home. They did so in convincing fashion. A 4-0 win over Jamaica. Absolute scenes at BMO Field. Attendance right around 30,000 goals from Kyle Lahren, Tejan Buchanan, Junior Hoylett, and then an 88th-minute own goal from Jamaica, Canada, and their fans, of course, plenty to celebrate. Here's more from Toronto. We have the opportunity to write our own story in the history books. Let's make it count, and I can't wait to see everyone back in Canada. Look, Canada can, eh? We've got Davies winning Champions League finals. We've got players playing all over Europe. We've got kids coming through the system. And we've just qualified for a World Cup. This is a legit football country. You came to this country in 2011, relatively unknown. We know your name now. Just, just reflect on the journey with this country. Hard work, hard work, a lot of belief, and good people around us. All right, Herc, it's going to be very, very hard for anybody whose team isn't playing against Canada at the next World Cup to, I think, root against this team. But now that they are qualified for Qatar, what do you think their ceiling is at the World Cup? Really quickly, their World Cup participation started a year ago. This is round three right now, this octagonal. They started in round one. That's how long they've been working for this. So huge congratulations, Canadian national team. Uh, it's very easy for me to say, well, that all depends on the draw, Seb. That all depends on what pot they're in. That all depends on who they play against. But let me tell you why... Some of that does not matter. Why majority of that won't matter. Uh, we're talking about right now a team that's got a clear set DNA. A team who knows exactly who they are. In this region, the best offensive team. The best defensive team. The best coach team in John Herdman. The team with the best nine in Jonathan David. Maybe the two best nines with Kyle Laren. We're talking about an all-around team that's very young, very disciplined, and knows exactly who they are. And I think a team like this is poised for a CONCACAF run. That is right, a CONCACAF run in a World Cup. I'm talking about 2002 U.S. Men's National Team, 2014 Costa Rica. The type of run that opens the eyes of many around the world. Like, where did this come from? Now, we understand, okay? They're say, say quarterfinal, say quarterfinal. That's what CONCACAF run means, Seb. That's exactly what it means, <laughs> Seb. Belgium, Brazil, France, Argentina, England, Spain, Qatar, Denmark, or Portugal, that's likely the pot they're going to be in an A, okay? Those are one of the teams they can face. I am telling you this team relishes that type of opportunity because it's been 36 years. I mean, Mexico was the last time and the only time we saw Canada in a World Cup. I don't remember the 86 World Cup. Mm -hmm. We've only seen it in YouTube. Their whole footballing nation, their whole fan base today has not seen that. They've got a disciplined team with a few spectacular players. Mm -hmm. Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, Estacchio, who's like a quarterback out there just picking who he springs off. This team could be poised for a run. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I know. It's very simple, very easy. They could be three and out. It's, mm -hmm. it's the, the most 
likely, it's the most likelihood for a CONCACAF team. We understand that. But they've got all the intangibles and the base to make that CONCACAF run. Man, I think this team is perfectly built for tournament football. I think at least a quarterfinal uh, is what they're capable. Ooh. They got one-on-one -on -one game breakers. You got the guys out wide, Buchanan, Davies, as you mentioned. You've got almost guaranteed goals, Herc, right? You've got not one, but two very consistent number nines. And to your point about their defense, what is it, six goals allowed yep. in 13 games yep. played? I mean, that is outright stingy. That's exactly what you want for a tournament. They make me think of Sweden. In 2018, the team that beat Mexico, they make me think a little bit of Denmark in 2020, mm -hmm. the well, 2021 European Championships that went on that run. Dude, I think this team could be a very, very big surprise for a lot of people. And honestly, I know it's a question for another time. I think right now they're hands down, and of course it has to do with the draw and all that stuff. They are going to be. They are going to be the team that makes the furthest in this next Ooh. World Cup. That's my opinion. Out of anybody, from I don't know about that, but they definitely remind me of that 2002 team and that run they could make. They've got very interesting players, some pacey players, and they're very stingy defensively. I think they're a very tough team to break down. I don't think anybody's going to really want to play against a tournament team like this. They're young, three, four yep. games every, or sorry, three to four days per games. Maybe the fifth day right there can suit a team like this. Hey, and let's, uh, as you, I know you did it, but let's give a little bit more credit to their coach, John Herdman, not just the coach, but the federation for knowing kind of what to do with this talent that they found, right? They brought him in to take over the women's team. He did a great job with the women's team, but he eventually couldn't really get them over the hump, right? Not to what we saw this past summer with an Olympic gold, but they moved him over to the men's program and look at all that he's done. There was a lot of people who said, hey, why would you leave one of the best women's programs to go to a men's program that, that really couldn't even sniff a World Cup? Well, now not only does he have Kenda's men in the World Cup, but the women just won gold, so he clearly left them in a pretty good spot, too. John Herdman right now, Hark, has to be one of the hottest properties in coaching. It's very hard to dispute anything you just said. John Herdman's uh, definitely won over the public, and I tell you what the best thing about that, he won over his people, he won over his players first, and when we speak to the players, when we interview the players, that's the first thing they tell you is, John Herdman, we bought into the mentality, the family, it's us versus the world type of thing, and listen, I'm extremely proud for my Canadian friends, I've lived in Toronto, I've seen that fan base in Toronto, I've played against the Montreal and Vancouver fan base, when he talks about Canada being a footballing nation, I honestly feel it is a sleeping giant of a footballing nation. And it's about time it starts waking up. Absolutely. Congratulations to Canada. They're headed back to the World Cup for the first time since 1986. MLS is back on your screens coming up this weekend. What do we got for you on ESPN Plus Saturday? Ooh, Herc. Orlando City fourth in the Eastern Conference against LAFC. First in the Western Conference. They're calling it an MLS Cup preview. Uh, that one Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. And by they, I mean me. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. To the National Women's Soccer League, Herka, on Friday, the Washington Spirits and Gotham FC. So this game ended in a 1-1 draw. Uh, Gotham actually went up first through a Christy Mewis penalty. Oh. Yeah, there it is. There's the call that, uh, that led to the direct kick. Here's Mewis, 23rd minute, stepping up and making it a 1-0 to Gotham. Washington, of course, with Trinity Rodman. 
having their chances early on, but it was uh, one nothing at the half. Into the second half, Ashley Hatch, she gets the leveler for the spirit. Good contact. It's a good strike. It's you very like difficult that. on this turn. NWSL Golden Boot getting it done. Uh, game ended 1-1. There was a red card. Spirit dominated. Uh, the game was played at Segra Field, which is the home of Loudoun United, DC United's uh, USL team. That matters because this happened. Uh, this is Ashley Sanchez one-on-one -on -one with Ali Krieger. I think, Herc, this is what they call skates. Uh, yes, that would be skates. Uh, whew. It's difficult. All right, so here's where this gets interesting, right, Herc? Uh, as we step into the world of shots fired, the next morning, Washington Spirit Twitter account Post the GIF uh, of the play with the caption, too soon. Okay, so all right, social media manager wanting to get some clicks. But Ashton Harris, who is of course a Gotham's goalie and also Allie Krieger's wife, says, get us a professional field, then we can talk. She compared uh, Segra Field's surface to a high school field. Clearly upset. Now this tweet got a lot of engagement. Got some likes, got some retweets. Uh, it also got some comments. One of those comments came from Trinity Rodman, who said this, I didn't see anyone else falling like that. You can accept her ankles got broke. All right, that is definitely uh, shots fired from the NWSL Rookie of the Year. To that, Harris replied, oh my bad, one camp in, and she's feeling confident, honey. Uh, of mm. course, uh, Harris referencing uh, Rodman's only recent inclusion to the U.S., women's national team. Uh, Herc, no question about whether this is shots fired. Whose side are you on here? Do I have to pick a side? <laughs> yes, you have to pick a side. <laughs> I'm the Trinity side. Like, so what? You got your ankles broke. It happens. It happened on turf. The turf could have been part of the reason you got your ankles broke. It could have been. But look at the move. I mean, it's a two-step. It's a little stutter, and it's the stutter that throws you off. It may have been the turf they gave on you, but you stuttered. That's the truth. And then no problem, you're on the ground, it happens to everybody. If you play the game long enough, sooner or later, something like this will happen. Now, your wife comes on and defends you, no problem, okay? We've seen a lot of that last 24 hours on TV. Spouses defending spouses, it happens, okay? But then you take a shot at Trinity Robin because she's only been one camp, like mm. if that separates, or for some reason, can't tell the truth because you've only been to one camp. You're not allowed to talk because you've only been to one camp. Well, then what you're pretty much saying is any fan out there, you shouldn't comment because you've been to zero camps. So I'm not in that camp or idea. <laughs> uh, look, I love it. I got zero problem with Ashton Harris defending her teammate and, yes, wife, Allie Krieger. I had zero problem with Trinity Rodman coming into it. The only thing I have a problem with maybe here is for people that don't know, Allie Krieger is, like a, is a Washington spirit, also Washington freedom legend. Okay. So the fact that the social media account went after Allie Krieger, if you're a Washington soccer fan, uh, feels like a little bit much. The other thing I would say here is that, again, Herc, we are hearing about NWSL playing surfaces, mm -hmm. right? Now, whether you, whether you believe Ashton Harris or not, what about Allie Krieger? Because Allie Krieger also went on social media and called it an, well, I won't say the word, but an S surface okay right. so she was also talking Smooth about it surface after all of yeah exactly <laughs> after all of, of of what the nwsl players supposedly won in their last cba right shouldn't we not be talking about fields at some point like if there's one thing to really be taken out of all of this it's that we we are still talking about minor professionalism things when it comes to the nwsl and that's disappointing it is disappointing sub it's, it's disappointing that 
professionals still have to play on these turf fields. You know, I'm not a fan of it. Mm. I've had multiple knee surgeries, and every time I was on a turf field, it felt like I was skating. And I would say, skating. And you said, what do they call this, skating? Now imagine trying to defend a much faster player than yourself on said field. These things can happen. Frustrations, yes, but at the end of the day, it's also safety. And it's proven that these turf fields, and we see it on all sports, we saw it at the Super Bowl, and we saw the players complaining about the, the Odell Beckham injury because of the turf field. I don't like, I don't like these turf fields. Uh, bottom line, the beef is great news for the league. It immediately made me look up, when's the next time Washington and Gotham play? It's April 17th. Gotham FC, Washington Spirit. Now, you can't miss it. All right, uh, there was some bad news out of the NWSL this weekend as well, Hurt, as it pertains to Tierna Davidson, who will miss the rest of the 2022 NWSL season after tearing her ACL. The Chicago Red Stars announcing that on Monday. Apparently, she was injured in training last week. Davidson has 48 caps for the U.S. Women's National Team, and right now she was in a tight battle for playing time at center back under Vladko Andonovsky. It's a major blow for the U.S., of course, for the Chicago Red Stars, uh, and most of all for the 23-year-old defender. We wish her a speedy recovery. Tierna Davidson out for the 2022 NWSL season with an ACL tear. Programming note, we will be back not on Thursday, on Wednesday this week with immediate reaction to the U.S. visit to Costa Rica as well as Mexico's home match from the Azteca against El Salvador as we put a final bow on CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. Before we get out of here, a reminder, as always, you can listen to this show in its audio form via podcast. He's Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. We will see you on Wednesday night right here on ESPN+. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.